Hello there, welcome to my show, Why Would You Say That?, where I talk politics, conspiracies, and other fun or disturbing topics depending on your view. It is important to remember that although I intend to only provide the truth, some information provided here may be false due to personal opinion or faulty information. Remember, you may learn things here, but it is always important to form your own opinion as well as do your own research. Do not just take my words for granted. So, a few weeks ago on episode 5, I discussed the prison industrial complex. I went into a general discussion around some of the problems with our prison system that end up with mass incarceration of citizens, many of which probably should not even be in prison in the first place. In that episode, I briefly mentioned the war on drugs, which was definitely a factor that contributed heavily to the mass incarceration that can be seen in the prison systems of America today. But if you'd like to know more on that subject, try listening to episode 5 on the prison industrial complex. It does go well with today's talk. And speaking of today's talk, this is going to be a pretty deep dive into this subject. So this is part one of two parts of the war on drugs. So I, I know I'm going to discuss this again in my introductory paragraph that I've prepared for this subject, but today's episode is going to more or less cover the history of the war on drugs as far as the official narrative is concerned, all the way up until about the year 2000. And then the next episode, I will, will resume the history from the year 2000 forward, and then we'll get into the conspiracy theories of this subject. So right now, this is going to be an introductory thing. You're going to learn about some shady bullshit here, too. It's not going to be as many quote-unquote conspiracy theories, though, or as I like to call them, the fucking truth. So yeah, stick around. Even if you just want the conspiracy tidbit, this is a pretty, uh, uh fuck, I don't even know the word. This, this episode right here will teach you a very basic uh, general knowledge deal about the war on drugs, how it got started, all of that fun shit. So let me quit fucking around here and just jump into it. So past all that fun introductory bullshit that I just did, today I'm here to discuss the war on drugs, like I said. I plan on taking a pretty deep dive into this subject, so we'll start off by discussing the history here. That should be fun. And then I'll talk, after I talk the history and talk shit about all the asshats who started this mess of bullshit that has arguably done far more damage to our country than what it has actually done to improve it. Of course, I'll get into the conspiracies. Think about what show you're listening to here. Of course I'll get into the conspiracies. But first, I'll be looking at just the general history that surrounds this whole mess. Of course, we can talk about the CIA doing what they do best, which is being crooked dark arts assholes who hide in the shadows acting in the interests of the elites while only serving to terrorize and harm the general population of our country. So let's jump in. I guess in order to really look into the war on drugs, we'll have to get into the Wayback Machine. Some people out there may argue that this is irrelevant when talking about the war on drugs, but in my personal opinion, if we want to talk about how the United States fucked up their full-out war on drugs, we'll have to talk about the 18th Amendment. For those of you who haven't brushed up on their U.S. Constitution knowledge or just neglected to do so, since we all know our government doesn't give half a fuck about it anyways, the 18th Amendment was the amendment that basically started Prohibition. The amendment established the prohibition of quote-unquote intoxicating liquors. Just in case you aren't up to date on your Prohibition knowledge either, 
and that eloquent wording that I just said didn't quite do it for you. The Prohibition era of the United States was when they banned the sale, transportation, and manufacturing of alcohol within our country. More or less, it was the war on drugs, but for alcohol. In 1920, the National Prohibition Act was passed, and the whole point of it was just to carry out all the wonderful American glory that is the 18th Amendment. Now, clearly, all this didn't last. We know it didn't last because everywhere you go nowadays sells alcohol. It's a huge staple of our culture. It's a stereotype for every guy to kick back and drink some beers after a hard day at his generic blue-collar job. We have flashy billboards promoting alcohol countries, funny and, I mean, uh, alcohol companies, funny and memorable commercials on TV, and it's the introductory staple of any number of hilarious comedy films, sarcasm intended. Just as I said with music in episode 3, the culture surrounding alcohol today is inescapable. Now, this isn't necessarily wrong, but it can be used as an example. That is where we are with with alcohol nowadays, when less than 100 years ago it was completely banned just like drugs are today. So with that knowledge, I would expect we may be that way when it comes to weed within the upcoming years, but that's off topic. The government stepped in and said that we could all no longer enjoy all the wondrous benefits of alcohol, and it was banned nationwide. However, America does what America wants, so this didn't work out the way the government has intended, obviously. Much like organized crime supposedly runs the drug trade of today, organized crime back during Prohibition began mass-scale bootlegging, which is making their own liquor to sell illegally, much along the lines of illegal drug sales today. Now, I just said that the organized crime supposedly runs the drug trade nowadays, and while I'm sure that they partially do, we'll get more into that later on, probably in the conspiracy section of all this. So along with bootlegging, America also saw the rise of speakeasies, which were basically just secret bars, much the way that secret raves are held in many cities present day, where you can just get fucked up on party drugs, which, may I add, are illegal, you fucking scoundrels, and you can listen to EDM. One thing that we should know by now as a country is that when you set things up like this and organized crime gets involved with it, things become dangerous and violent. The people who wanted to drink alcohol were still doing so, only now things were getting violent between rival bootleggers like it does with rival drug dealers. Regardless of if you support banning a substance like alcohol or not, it is a tough debate to have over if it's more dangerous for it to be legal or illegal. That's also the argument of how if something is illegal, not only is it just as dangerous as it was when it was legal, but also law enforcement now has to spend a large sum of money to go towards trying to maintain control over the illegal substance which is a problem that is ever so present in the debate over the war on drugs. Of course, as quickly as it came, prohibition was repealed with the 21st Amendment under Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. This, however, was not the case with the war on drugs that continues to this day. The fight against drugs started relatively slowly near the end of the prohibition era. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics was established. It was soon after followed by the marijuana tax of 1937. This didn't make marijuana illegal, but as the name would suggest, it just applied a new tax to the sale of cannabis. Many people believe that this was just the first step of many that were planned and created for the sole purpose of destroying the hemp industry. So the claim here, <clears throat> excuse me, the claim here is that hemp was a cheaper substitute for the paper pulp that newspapers were printed on. So, of course, if you're a lizard dark arts motherfucker like some members of the DuPont family, 
You're not going to let anything get between you and your money. So of course, in the same fashion that things would go today, if product B is threatening your financial prosperity in your business with product A, and you happen to have a lot of money, power, and influence, you're bound to try using some of that power for the purpose of killing product B so that your business may thrive and you can rake in more money than you'll ever fucking need. Now back to the involvement of the motherfucking DuPont family, of course. In this scenario, the involvement of the DuPont family also includes the involvement of Randolph Hearst. Hearst was the Secretary of the Treasury for the United States and was, at this point, the richest man in America. He happened to have heavily invested in DuPont's wonderful new synthetic fiber nylon. As far as he was concerned, the success of nylon all depended on it replacing hemp, so of course destroying the hemp industry would definitely be beneficial to someone in a position such as this. Now, let's fast forward to 1970. The Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970 was passed by Congress. It categorized a whole series of controlled substances by their medicinal value as well as their potential to cause addiction. There was, of course, some controversy growing that was surrounding a heroin addiction epidemic among U.S. servicemen that were stationed in Vietnam. This was about the time that Nixon officially declared the war on drugs. This led to much harsher drug laws as well as a slew of sentencing laws and regulations and a heavy increase of drug enforcement. Of course, this entire mess goes far deeper than simply declaring war on drugs, and we'll get into that. Now, remember this fun tidbit that I just told you, because it will end up coming back regardless. It will end up coming back later regarding Nixon's secret plans when I get into the conspiracy part of this mess. Sorry, as always, if you listen to this show, a staple of this show is me fucking up words because I barely speak English, so sorry about that. I'll try to do better. In 1972, Nixon had replaced marijuana temp... Had, there we go. I said I was going to do better. First sentence and I fuck it up. So, in 1972, Nixon had placed marijuana... Not replaced. Placed marijuana temporarily into the category of a Schedule One controlled substance. The harshest and most restrictive category of drugs. This was, of course, pending review by a commission that he had appointed led by Raymond Schaefer the Republican governor of Pennsylvania. The commission unanimously recommended that marijuana be decriminalized, but Nixon said, fuck all that, and he ignored the report moving forward as planned. This was only the beginning. In 1973, the Drug Enforcement Administration, better known as the DEA, was established in order to replace the aforementioned Bureau of Narcotics. We all know that the DEA is responsible for some crooked fuck shit, but perhaps that's a topic for another time. Originally, around this time, public opinion was in favor of decriminalizing marijuana and allowing it to be legal for personal recreational use. And, as a matter of fact, some states even allowed the votes to go through that decriminalized it. But somehow the tides changed in a matter of a few short years. Parents began to grow more and more concerned as the cultural impact of marijuana became more pronounced and as people railed on the topic either side, either for it or against it. Many parents began to fear that their children may end up being becoming addicted to the devil's lettuce, and suddenly the tide of public opinion turned from being pro-decriminalization of marijuana to pro-criminalization. Of course, as with everything in our country from back then all the way to modern day, the role of propaganda cannot be understated in this situation. By the time Ronald Reagan made it into office, shit had began to near the point of no return. 
His presidency expanded the focus on preventing drug abuse as well as prosecuting drug users. In Reagan's first term as president, he signed the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984, which extended the penalties of marijuana possession and established a federal system of mandatory minimum sentences. So between the years of 1980 and 1984, the FBI's drug enforcement budget went from $8 million all the way up to $95 million. At this point, you should kind of begin to see that the war on drugs has clearly failed this country, and this was way back in the 80s. The clear problem with it here is just kind of how big of a drain it is on the federal budget. Beyond pissing away that much money to enforce the drug laws, with the passing of the laws that made the sentencing harsher and criminalized the drugs, the number of incarcerated individuals within the U.S. skyrocketed, and as we know from my prison industrial complex episode, locking people up is not fucking cheap. So we essentially locked people up for marijuana use, a quote-unquote drug that is 100% indisputably not nearly as dangerous as alcohol. Now, marijuana is still dangerous as fuck, because I don't like lethargic people giggling at a Cheetos bag because there's sunglasses on a Cheeto while I'm in the store at 3am trying to buy jerk-off lotion. <clears throat> Joking. However, marijuana doesn't kill you by consuming too much as alcohol will, and marijuana doesn't make people violent towards those in their immediate vicinity. Now, clearly, alcohol doesn't make all people violent, but if it didn't make anybody at all violent, then the stereotype of the alcoholic and abusive father would not exist, now would it? What are the stereotypes of marijuana users? They chill out watching TV and eat some good-ass food? Motherfuck, we have to stop these violent criminals before they eat all the flaming Hot Cheetos. Now, clearly again, I'm joking, because we aren't even up to modern day, and this shit has already become unbelievably asinine. It would be a good comedy bit if this wasn't real and if it didn't fuck our country up, so... Concerning that, it's not funny. This fucking sucks. So back to the good shit. In 1982, the vice president began pushing for the CIA and the military to get involved with the war on drugs. With them involved and wrapped up with all this shit, it officially became a war. Now, who was the vice president who made this big decision? Well, one of our favorite Nazi lizards, George H.W. Bush. For real, fuck that guy. As if he didn't do enough goddamn damage during his own fucking presidency, George H.W. Bush will most likely end up being the subject of a future episode all by himself, because if you are not up to date on your history of him, he is a crooked-ass motherfucker. And sorry about the jingle-jangle noises. That's my dog, otherwise known as the co-host, doesn't contribute anything except fucking noise. Wonderful. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this out so that you uh, don't have to listen to 10 minutes of her licking the air. And I will be right back after this quick update. She has finally laid back down and stopped licking the air. So consider this update completed. So back to our drug fuckery. It was around this time where the, they started the anti-drug campaign that would come later to be known as the National Youth Anti-Drug Media Campaign. You know, all those cool-ass anti-drug posters and commercials that used to be everywhere and are still sometimes seen around, but not as much as they used to be. In modern day, they've become more so of a joke or a meme-type deal, but back in the day, we were supposed to take them seriously. This was all the bullshit like, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs, and all the Christians against marijuana shit. 
it was all just clear propaganda campaign, but campaigns like this still exist to this day, and we somehow still haven't noticed that we are being brainwashed or swayed into having a particular set of views or opinions. I'm not entirely sure that anyone ever took this campaign seriously, though, with all the bullshit ads about how would your mom feel if she walked in on you dead because you overdosed on marijuana, or do you want to be addicted to marijuana because if you smoke one joint, you will die, and all that other fun bullshit that people somehow fucking believed. It was even still going into recent years. I don't know if dare is still a thing, but I remember we all had to take the oath in school to never do drugs, and then we all broke that oath because drugs are really cool and they make you seem cool and all that other stuff. I still remember my parents lecturing me on drugs too and how most of their anti-drug information had been plucked straight from this stupid fucking anti-drug propaganda campaign. Just another example of how the government will spread obvious misinformation to the masses in order to get us to comply and believe in their agenda. So, the Office of National Drug Control Policy is who we have to thank for this fantastic propaganda campaign. It was originally established by the National Narcotics Leadership Act of 1988. The leader of the ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, is commonly referred to as the drug czar, and this was implemented in 1989 under George H.W. Bush when he became the president. He wasn't the only dumb fuck to continue this shit, though, because by the time the presidency of Bill Clinton rolled around, Bill Clinton raised the leader of the ONDCP to a cabinet-level position. So Bush started the fuckery, but then Clinton helped to give it more power. As we all know, Clinton was the best president ever, right? Right, guys? Yeah, right. This all ended up being funded by the Treasury and General Government Appropriations Act of 1998. So, now that we've reached the end of the 1900s and right near the beginning of the 2000s, that's a good place to call this the end of part one. Next week, we'll pick back up with how the war on drugs continues into the 2000s and hopefully get into the conspiracy aspect of it. I'm not sure if this will end up going past due parts. I don't believe it will, but... I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there, even though 99 times out of 100, I guarantee this is going to be two parts. So you know what? Fuck that bridge. I just crossed it. Two-parter. Come back for the final part next week, right? So this, is, this was just kind of a basic introduction to the history and all that fun shit on the war on drugs. Like I've said in the industrial prison complex part uh, episode, you know, it's... The war on drugs has basically failed us all. It failed our population, and it failed the country. The real thing about this is, just like with racist housing laws and the laws that kind of make it so black people end up being stuck in inner cities and they end up uh, being undereducated because their schools are severely underfunded in the inner city, It this the war on drugs really did serve to kind of lower the status and fuck over the life of the black family in America. And it, it just is a travesty when you get any law or any set of laws like this that can be used to target one group of people and kind of just fuck up their entire life. So it, it's, it's something we'll go into deeper in the next episode. In the next episode, I'll be discussing a lot of the conspiracy theories around this and, of course, the the history of the war on drugs into the early 2000s, which is severely limited because uh, after about the time that we hit uh, the mid-early 2000s, somewhere in that ballpark, people really stopped giving a fuck about the war on drugs because 
it obviously it wasn't as obvious to people back then that it was just a fucking waste of time but now the general population has begun to notice just how severely the war on drugs has failed us as a country and how bad it has fucked things up and hopefully it's something that will completely end soon but until it ends unfortunately it's going to continue to keep fucking shit up so of course one more time come back next week enjoy all the conspiracy theory aspects of this and just learn why this was such a fucking mistake and just how badly this fucked over our episode i mean our uh our country and the reason i just slipped up and said episode there is because of course i probably could have done this all in one episode but i'm trying to keep this in bite-sized chunks because if i go into the rest of my research here on this episode this one will end up being probably about 45 minutes or some crazy shit and unless i'm coming with a guest such as episode 7 with podcast paul or episode 9 with cody i prefer not to go over uh you know 30 minutes is the ballpark i try to keep it in so that you can kind of digest this information but with the guest it's more of a discussion based type thing so it moves along faster or like in the scenario with the episode with cody that was just long as shit and of course every time i would guest on technology's gotta fuck us over so enough of me babbling thanks for listening if you made it this far and you learned one thing great Tell your family and your stoner friend. Your family will ignore you forever, and, unfortunately, your stoner friend will overdose on marijuana and die. Plus, you'll never get laid again unless you take advantage of your overdose stoner friend's body. But that is necrophilia, and I do not endorse it. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.